Welcome back to another episode of Cone's Corner. It's kind of the same old, same old in Mets land. Not much has changed. Obviously, Ronnie Mauricio's up. He's been playing well. Mark Vientos finding his footing a little bit, been hitting the ball well. I mean, obviously, with all that's gone on this season, it's kind of nice here at the end. The Mets are still fighting. They're playing a little spoiler, especially against the Marlins, who seem to have been a thorn in our side for I don't know how many years. Every year, it seems like they're beating us in September. So it's nice to give it back to them a little, even though in the end, it's not going to mean a whole ton. But yeah, we're going to get into the Mets, what they've been doing lately, look around the league a little bit, some of the playoff races that are going on. Obviously, the Mets hired David Stearns. We'll talk about that a little bit. But yes, we'll get into a few things. Elizabeth, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned, you know, obviously the Mets games themselves haven't been overly consequential for the team over the last few weeks. But I have to say I was fully on board the tank train until this series against the Marlins. And then when the Mets won the first game and I was like, how funny the Mets play for the last two weeks of the season. So they just finished a three game series, I think, with the Marlins. They now have four games against the Phillies, followed by. I think four against the Marlins. And so I think the rest of their season is is against the Marlins and Phillies. The Phillies, I believe, are like three games up on the in the wild card right now. So or four, actually, I don't think the Mets are really going to like sweep them out of the postseason unless they actually do win all of those games. But I have to say, beating the Marlins, who are right now half a game back in the NL wild card, is a little extra sweet. We Mets fans do tend to hold grudges for a long time. That's why I still don't like the Cardinals after all these years because of 2006. So and no, literally no other reason, basically. So I have to say it has been enjoyable. Like this one series win against the Marlins doesn't really mean anything for the Mets. It might mean that they don't ultimately get that top six draft pick, which would be sort of a bummer in the grand scheme of things. But day to day, you know, like we've sort of said, it's hard for me to actively root against the Mets. So them beating the Marlins and then seeing all the Marlins fans like annoyed about it. I have to say I've been enjoying it. They they've always been pesky. I've never hated them like I hated, you know, the Braves or even the Phillies, but the Marlins, my favorite word to describe them has always been pesky, and they've always been very pesky against the Mets. And so to see the Mets, even the game they lost where Brandon Nimmo hits a two-run double in the ninth inning with two outs to tie it, you know, the Marlins did end up walking off to win that game. The Mets were pretty close to sweeping that series in the grand scheme of things. So that's at least that was annoying for them. Like, if the Marlins are going to make the postseason, they're going to have to earn it, obviously. And to see them have to sweat a little bit is kind of enjoyable from a Mets fan perspective. So I have, I've been enjoying that. Like I said, I don't think these games against the Phillies, the Phillies have been of the NL field by far the best team of the wild card contenders. So I don't really think, you know, barring them just losing out the rest of the season, I think they're pretty much locked in for a wild card spot. But hey, it would still be nice if the Mets could win some of those games and make it a little bit more interesting. So we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. Yeah. I mean, and isn't it a shame that the Marlins actually have a decent team this year and they still can't draw anyone to the stadium? Like, what is it going to take for them to really get fans? Because even you look on TV, there's it's almost like as many Mets fans there as Marlins now with the Mets being out of it and the Marlins heavily in it. So I, I just kind of feel for them as a team. Like, it's just sad that they can't draw. Because at least when the Rays are going well, like obviously the Rays don't draw well either. But when it gets later in the season and they have a good team, which they have a lot lately, they get some fans to the ballpark. I think it was they averaged 12,000 fans at the games this week, which is kind of a shame considering they're in it. But yeah. You touched on it, how the Marlins are just pesky. That's the best word to put it, how they've been, I don't know, since it's almost like since 2007, 2008, when they would just crush the Mets dreams back then. I remember being a little kid and late in September, they're beating the Mets when the Mets are fighting for playoff spot. And even look at last year, the Mets didn't play well against them down the stretch. I know 
Obviously, they still made the playoffs, but every game counted in the end because if they had won one more game last season, they would have taken that last home series against the Marlins where they split. I forget if it was a four games or whatever it was. They they lost some games in them. Yeah, right at the end. That you remember last year, everyone was like, "Oh, well, the schedule's easy in September. Schedule's going to be so easy." And you, you, we all know what happened. We don't have to go too deep on it, but yeah, it is nice to kind of beat the Marlins and give them a taste of their own medicine after all these years. Uh, but yeah, and I'm hoping we could do well against the Phillies. I know you touched on the fact that they were close to that sixth draft pick in the in the draft next spring, and if they get the seventh pick, they fall ten slots because of how far they were over the luxury tax and. All that. So obviously they want to get the sixth pick, but I'm not thinking about that right now. Obviously it's hard, like you said, to root against the Mets, but I'm hoping they can beat the Phillies. And who knows if they could sweep them and somehow be the reason the Phillies don't make the playoffs. I feel like that'd be pretty cool. It, it would. Yeah. Cause I mean, looking at the field right now, if somehow, well, the D backs have done, I mean, even though the Mets won three out of four, yeah, the Mets played well against them too. They played well against them, but they are still pretty solidly. Well, they're a game and a half up on the Cubs right now and the Marlins and Reds, and then the Giants have fallen back a little bit. There are three out, so I feel like right now for the two remaining spots under the Phillies, it's going to be between D-backs, Cubs, Marlins, and Reds. If somehow the D-backs and Reds could be those two teams, I, that would be my ideal. I have nothing against the Cubs, really, but I don't know. I would just rather see the other two teams in the playoffs, so we'll see. It would be kind of funny if the Marlins didn't end up making it after all that. They did make the playoffs in 2020 in the shortened season, but aside from that, I don't think they've made the postseason in a full year since... Was it 2003? No. Yeah. Was maybe. it really? Yeah, somewhere around then. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening. I think, yeah. But I mean, even with the attendance stuff, like for whatever reason, the two Florida teams have had trouble attracting fans in recent years. And I don't know. I mean, people with the Rays talk a lot. And we can, I'll even mention this now. Like there was some news this week that the Rays are officially, there's a new deal in place for them to get. Yeah, that stadium, stadium looks nice. In St. Petersburg in I think 2028. And it's going to be smaller than the trop too, which will be interesting. So it's interesting. I think over the years, there've been different waves of stadium trends. There was for a while there, we were getting sort of retro looking stadiums like Camden Yards. Even the Braves stadium is sort of in that same realm and like City Field. And now I feel like the new stadium is being built are very sort of, I don't know, utilitarian look. I mean, like the Rangers stadium, for example, this Rays one definitely doesn't look retro at all. Lone Depot Park is pretty new for the Marlins. That also has a very kind of almost space age-ish look. So it'll be interesting seeing like if the the sentiment around the team is any different with the new stadium, if they draw any better. It's in basically the same location. And I know a lot of people cite there's like this only one bridge that goes from Tampa to St. Petersburg that there's tons of traffic on. So it's kind of hard to get there. I do feel like the Rays over the last few years, look, they've only been around since the late 90s. And I mean, that's a decent amount of time now, but... I think having been consistently competitive basically over the last 10 years, I have a feeling the excitement of a new stadium with a conti- if the team continues to be competitive, I think they will sort of have an uptick in in-person attendance over the next few years. Or maybe there'll be people going to the trop who just want to experience the novelty of that stadium, which it's quite unique. So Yeah, and like you said, there's going to be less seats in that new stadium, which I think will bode well for them. It'll make it like kind of more compact and it won't look as empty in there. Because I mean, if you look at the trop, there's so many seats just like sectioned off that they don't even use because they know they're not going to draw. It's the same thing for the Marlins. Like a lot of times they don't even open up the upper deck, which is kind of crazy. But Oakland's yeah, the think, same way, although that's a whole yeah, other exactly. situation. But yeah, all those... Like- the teams that don't draw that well. I mean, in Oakland, obviously, we all know why Oakland isn't drawing. They're just not putting a competitive team on the field. But they do have fans that go to the games when they are good. But I mean, even back then, because of it being an old football stadium, there's just so many seats that they don't even need. So they're obviously 
they're probably going to move to Vegas. I know that vote's going to be coming up soon. So we're going to see what happens with that, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, it's just, I'm excited to see that new Ray Stadium. I mean, obviously the renderings, they're just digital renderings. They look good. It looks really interesting. Um, apparently it's going to be a really nice surrounding area around the stadium. So that'll be interesting to see too. And it's good for them because like you said, they've been competitive for a long time and they're kind of just in a crappy stadium. Like you look, you see pictures of the Trop. It's just, there doesn't seem to be anything really nice about it. So the race, the race and their fans deserve a nice stadium to go watch games at. So hopefully that'll help them draw well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm almost curious now. I don't know if I'll make it down there in the next few years. I'm not really in Tampa ever, but I would be curious to go to a game there just to see, like, I think that's the only fully domed stadium in the majors. There's no retractable roof. I think all the other stadiums with a roof, it's at least retractable. I know the Marlins hardly ever open it, their roof. The Rangers hardly ever open their roof. But at the Trop, there is no way to even open it. So I think it would be nice. It would make the whole thing feel a little less, for lack of a better word, just indoors. So we'll see. I, I'd be curious to go to a game there, experience the catwalks in person, even though people can't really go on them. But Is that a bucket list item for you? I don't know if it's really bucket list. It's more like a vague curiosity. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like something I'm actively aiming to do. But if there was some reason for me to be in the area during baseball season, I would try to go there. So, but yeah, that was sort of big news this week. I'm always curious too, like the renderings of ballpark villages and ballparks and stuff, like what they act, like what their rendering is versus what they actually end up being and how different that is. Because I don't know, the renderings of things always look like you know, that meme of like society, if blah, blah, blah. And then it's like yeah. that thing. That's always what these stadium renderings look like to me. It's like, okay, they always look just very, very like sunny with like lots of flowers everywhere and people smiling, which I guess that's a good thing to aim to in life. But well, did you see somebody uh, on the renderings there? They had a girl in a uh, Wander Franco jersey and somebody pointed that out. Like, Wish they're trying on. to like eradicate we, from the stadium entirely. Couldn't you like know. somebody didn't go over that? well enough to find that you know yeah <laughs> like, yeah probably not like i i bet you it was obviously made the renderings were made well before <laughs> yeah before the franco news came out so but still like i don't know how that's kind of missed but i thought that was interesting they they could have used someone with a watchful eye i would have volunteered yeah. to qa that <laughs> that image but i was not summoned alas we can talk about like the whole overall playoff picture in a little bit but yeah marlin's sort of fighting tooth and nail at the moment We'll see if they end up getting in. We'll see if they fill the stadium if they do get in. I think if they actually made the playoffs, this they'd sell out their games. It's also interesting too because I feel like their social team puts a lot of effort into like fun content. They do a lot of like fun events at the stadium too. They sort of take advantage of the, their Miami location and do. I don't know. I feel like they're based on what I see from them on Twitter. They're always like doing different promotions and fun stuff. But yeah, I don't know if the widespread passion for the Marlins is really there the way it is for other fan bases. I just don't know if they, they have some diehard fans, obviously, but I just don't know if it's as widespread. I mean, it isn't as widespread as other teams. So I don't know what it would take to really foster that. I'm sure when they won the world series in like 2003 and 1997 people there, I'm sure were like super into it. Yeah. And you yeah. see videos, they drew well to, to those games. I mean, it will be interesting to see if the Marlins do make the playoffs and make it because they probably won't, Unless they somehow catch up to the Phillies, they're not going to have a home like mm, home field true. advantage in the wild card series. So it'd be interesting if they do make the playoffs and make it out of the wild card series to see how they would draw for a playoff game. Because if you think back when they made the playoffs in the shortened season in 2020, they played at Wrigley Field and they won a series there that for the expanded playoffs, but they never played a home game because then it went to neutral site after that. Oh, so, yes, that's right. So it'll be interesting to see if they do advance and make it to a round. We haven't have seen playoff, playoff baseball games. there. Yeah. 
Yeah, so let's see if they make the playoffs how I would assume they can at least fill that lower bowl. But, I mean, even that seems to be a struggle for them now. The closest thing we really saw was the WBC games at Low Depot Park. Which, yeah, like, look the, at that. And I that mean, was, like, electric. So it's not like there's yeah. no baseball fans in the area. I mean, yeah. some But that also probably, probably brings traveled. in a lot of tourists yeah, and probably. people traveling from all over. And It was a great stadium, to it seemed, to watch a game like that. So it would be nice to see us, see them get a packed house for a game or two. Yeah, Let's hope meant. the Mets beat them well enough last <laughs> next week that True. they don't even have a shot. Yeah, exactly. Ideally, yeah, maybe they can beat up on them at City Field next week. So we'll see. The, no, I mean, the Mets have been bad this year, but they have played the Marlins well and pretty much they've only, I guess this is only the third series against them. They haven't played them since like April, crazily enough. Yeah, because with the playing everyone throughout the year, it yeah, takes away from your division that's game. bizarre yeah. to me because yeah. then they played them. I was like, wait a second, when was the last time the Mets even played the Marlins? And it was like months yeah. ago. So, yep. You know, the Marlins playoff standings, the Mets don't obviously don't really have. I don't think the Mets are officially eliminated, but they're about they're okay. Three, their elimination number is three. So my guess is sometime over the weekend at the latest. Yep. They'll, they'll be but honestly, like since the trade deadline, obviously for a week after that, they had a bit of a lull. I'm sure it was a shock to the clubhouse sending all those guys away. But since then, they've played pretty close to, if not above 500 baseball, like they've been pretty good because they were right around this 10 games under when they traded everyone and then they, they what got swept by the Royals, I think that week. Yep. And then and the then, Orioles and then the Orioles. So you think about that, forget that week since then they've actually played really well. And you've had guys step up. Obviously we've talked about DJ Stewart's been, he's cooled off a little bit lately, but he's been really good for them. Vientos has really seemed to find his footing. He's been hitting the ball really well. I saw something today, minimum hundred at bats. He's like fifth in baseball in exit velocity. So that's pretty good. I mean, he's hitting the, I mean, he's been known to hit the ball hard. It's just, his swing and miss was huge when he came up and seems like he's really kind of figuring it out a little bit. I think he's hitting like 300 over the last month, pretty close to it. So, I mean, obviously Mauricio's looked really good. I've liked what I've seen out of him in the field too. He looks pretty comfortable at second base. Third base was a little shaky, but he's got such a good arm that I think if he could figure out third base, that could be a spot for him long-term. But I really liked what I've seen out of him. Jose Buto has been pretty good. Even Peterson and McGill have stepped up over the last month or so. So it's kind of been next man up over this last month. And obviously it's a little too late for it, but at least it's been good to see that they've been showing some fight. Definitely. And I like what you said. I mean, Vientos, I think he definitely passes the eye test in terms of hitting the ball hard because even a lot of his outs are hard hit. And I think he even said, I mean, he hit two home runs yesterday, which was a great way to help lift the Mets to the win over the Marlins in this finale. But he even said after the game that he feels like getting so much regular playing time, you know, finally the Mets brought him up earlier in the year, barely played him, sent him back down. And now they brought him back up again, whenever it was a month ago. And he's playing almost every day now and has seemed to sort of settle into a groove. I mean, you know, who knows exactly what they have with him long-term, but he at least looks like someone that could be, if not like an all-star level player, like at least a, a league average hitter. You and know, with a lot of pop, he, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Teams would trade like prospects for that kind of bat. So like they can't all be not every prospect, like just because they're a top prospect doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be touted as like a future Hall of Famer. But I don't even pan out at the major league level. You know, if he can like basically be this and DH and maybe play third sometimes or like first base in a pinch. I don't know. That's pretty good. 20 20 home runs, even if he's only going to hit 230, 240. I mean, if he can basically be one of their like DH candidates. I think they're going to get a lot more. Yeah. It'll just be a little bit more engaging to watch. And he's just, I mean, he's not, he's not that fast, but he, and he should only get better, you know, athletic. Yeah. I mean, he's still, you know, he came up for like two seconds. Did he even come up last year? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He came up for a short amount of time for like a week. 
I mean, if he gets a little bit more, I mean, he's basically gotten some rope since he's come back up. He's actually been playing almost every day, which I've liked. So, you know, we we sort of said the second half of the year, if the Mets traded a bunch of veterans, was going to be about giving the young guys some more rope. And I think we've seen that at least with, you know, Vientos. Alvarez, they have, I think, moved away from playing him almost every day. It seems like he's been playing slightly less often. Maybe they just don't want to give him too much wear and tear as for his full season catching. But we've pretty much, I think, gotten a full season sample size from him. Mauricio came up at the beginning of September, and I sort I liked what I saw from him right away. You know, there have been the occasional error. There's been the occasional, even that that play with Lucchese the other day where Mauricio comes in to cover. He should have been a third probably base, wasn't yeah. his ball. He probably should have just gone to cover third. But I would almost rather see, I'd rather see that. And from what we've seen from him, like he doesn't look tentative. He's, if anything, overly aggressive. And I think that, I don't know, it's just more exciting to watch as a fan. I mean, he's only hit, I think, one home run so far, but he's hit well. He He's not like, I mean, he strikes out sometimes, but honestly, his walk rate is like the least of my concerns because he, when he's getting on base, he's stealing bases. I don't think he's been caught once. He's already stolen like six or seven bases. He sort of created some runs, you know, in multiple different scenarios. He seems to just have confidence and isn't being tentative. And I think that's exciting to watch as a fan. And you realize, you know, he's sort of, he's been so long. He's been in the organization for six years. I feel like I've been hearing about him forever. Forever. And I feel like he has, he had, they have a viable major league player in him. I am pretty confident. He might be the best one. I mean, besides Alvarez. He's the most, I think, raw talent out of any of the Mets four top prospects they brought up. We didn't even hear about his speed a lot. I know it got talked about sometimes when he was in the minors, but I mean, he's been stealing a good amount of bases. He's got like six stolen bases already since he's come up. I feel like whenever he's on base, he's the threat to steal. He's got great power. Like I said, he's got a great arm in the Hits field. Hits the ball That's hard too. Yes. Really pan out. The first ball he hit when he first came up was the hardest to hit ball the Mets had had since P. Alonso hit one harder in 2021. So, I mean, that's crazy. And to think that he's already got that talent. And like you said, it's raw and. He's going to have some growing pains in the field. Obviously, he had to learn a new position, which I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It throws me off that the minute they traded for Lindor, that's when they should have started to have plans about moving Mauricio all around. Why did they wait until pretty much halfway through the season, start trying him out at second base, third base, in the outfield? You could have still let him play shortstop sometimes, but you knew you had Lindor, especially when you signed him to that long-term deal. You had him locked up for the next 11 years. I understand I don't get it, I don't. all that, but why wouldn't you start trying him at other positions then? Because if you think about it, their reasoning this year for not bringing him up earlier was that he wasn't ready to, to play those new positions at the major league level. But if you had been trying him out at these positions and letting him learn in the winter league and all these other places, which in the winter league last year, he did play third and second. That blows my mind a little bit that they waited so long to start trying him at new positions when you knew you had a shortstop locked up for the next decade. I completely agree. I think it's bizarre that, yeah, because then they're like blaming him for not being ready. I'm like, you had two years to get him acclimated to the rest of the infield. Yeah, you and know? they didn't do it till this year. They started moving it, him around. Because like, even last year, we heard like, oh, Mauricio has been playing shortstop every day in Syracuse yeah. or double A and Syracuse. I'm like, why? I mean, I know they want to keep his trade value, which let him play short a couple times a week. Yeah. Still move him around. I it doesn't make sense. Because I mean, basically, sense. unless Lindor gets is injured, he's playing shortstop. He's yeah. in the prime of his career. He's the shortstop. So they don't need, they like Giorme can be the back. They have other people who can back up in an yeah. emergency or if he's not available, but they don't yeah, need like this, their young prospects sense. to be playing shortstop yeah. every day. Like that didn't Let make Mauricio play short a little bit. And like you said, if Lindor gets hurt, yeah, Mauricio can play short until Lindor comes back. But you knew he wasn't going to be the long term shortstop. But anyway, he's up now. He's, he's up now. Really I know. We... <laughs> he could have been up in June or July because his hitting was always there. He hit over 300 at AAA this year. 
He led the the AAA in home runs for most of the season. It's just his exit velocity was there all year. I just whatever. But I'm glad he's up now and right. He's kind of he's probably showing to them like, hey, this is what I could have been doing earlier this year. Maybe I could have helped you out and things could have been a little different. But whatever. It's good to see now. And I think with what he showed, there's no reason why he shouldn't be on the opening day roster next season. Absolutely. And yeah, it's hard to say, like, yes, on one hand, if he was up earlier, could it have made a difference in the Mets season? Possibly. But on the other yeah, hand, he's, not, he's doing still. so well now that it's almost like, oh, well, maybe that was the right time. You know, it, who knows with these things? I, I don't know. I it, I don't have like a crystal ball, but it's great to see them coming up and doing great now. So whatever decision making led to this moment, even if it took longer than most fans wanted, at least he's doing well at the major league level and is showing his skills, even if it's a shorter time of the season than we would have wanted. So I'm at least glad for him for that. It's interesting also watching the games too, because it, it's hugely different between like him playing third versus Beatty or Vientos because I've noticed I've often felt especially with Beatty playing third it's almost like Lindor has to play two positions because he's so tentative and it's almost like every ball in that vicinity unless it's like on the third baseline Lindor is just gonna like try to get to or will get to more so but with Mauricio at third he's actually been way more aggressive in terms of charging balls in the infield you know, calling off people on pop-ups and it'll be interesting there's been multiple times even in just the game yesterday where there was a ball sort of slowly hit to like between shortstop and third. And you see Lindor sort of preparing to like come in, but then Mauricio kind of cuts across, gets it and throws the guy out at first. And I feel like that sort of confidence is great to see because his arm has been strong. His arm has been pretty accurate for the most part. I don't really, yeah. I mean, everyone makes a throwing error now and again. He looks very calm, you know? Yeah. So I've been like really impressed with him so far and looking for, he's also one of those players too. The fact that he's just athletic, he's hot, he's fast. That's another element to his game that, Especially Alvarez, he's a catcher. so And he's a switch pass, hitter. Like, that's huge, too. Yeah, right? exactly. His swing is nice from both sides of the plate. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching him next year. He can, he totally should be Especially very much in the top of their versatile list. now, and you can put him at second or third, you know? Like, that'll be good. But, I mean, maybe they want to try him just to Or DH. Comfortable. Yeah, or DH, but I think he's shown enough in but the field. But he's athletic enough in the field. Obviously, yeah. he's definitely a better fielder than Vientos. I would say he's a better fielder than Beatty. I think Beatty has an a chance to be a very good fielder, but like you said, it's very he's very tentative, and I think most of his problems are upstairs. You know, when it comes to his fielding, like I think he just thinks about it too much, or he's trying to aim the ball. I don't know because based on raw talent, like Beatty's not a bad third baseman, but sometimes you see with those throws and stuff. I love what I've seen on Mauricio, especially like turning double plays at second mm-hmm, base. Very he, smooth. He touched on it last night that the guys coming in, and obviously the sliding rules are different now, so you're not as much danger as a middle infielder. But he just he's very calm. He. He's got a strong, strong and accurate arm. Uh, but yeah, he looks really comfortable in the infield. I, I've liked what I've seen. I'd like to see him a little bit in the outfield too, because he's got such a good arm. But yeah, I've, I've really yeah. liked what I've seen from Mauricio. I agree, although I don't want them to like, you know, hopefully he can handle whatever they throw at him. But I almost think for the rest of this season, like just leave him in the infield. I don't know if they yeah, need to like, for sure. throw for sure. him But out I there. think going forward, like if he plays in a winter league this year, maybe that's where they give him a lot of reps in the outfield. Maybe. Just the, the versatility is huge. I mean, look at McNeil. How you're just able to put him wherever you want. And he had two just, outfield assists yesterday in one inning. I know. He's, I mean, McNeil's different because he's just so good in the field everywhere you put him. It seems like I know a couple of years ago they tried him at third and he was a little shaky, but pretty much anywhere you put him, he's above average defensively. Especially right field, that's, he's that's been very strong. Hit 300, like, yeah, he's he's got a good arm. Like I think his arm is very underrated because obviously it's not super, super powerful, but he is so accurate with his throws. Like you just look at the, obviously the first throw last night was a relay, but. The second one to home, that was that was a one-hop strike. It was a great throw. So, yeah, to have a guy like that, if you could move Mauricio around and 
give your lineup even more versatility. I think that would help the team out a lot. And that's what you see other teams doing with their young players. I mean, look at the Reds, who I know they're sort of slightly on the outside looking in at the playoff picture at the moment, but they've had so many impact rookies come up this year. No one's really locked into any position. They've just got pretty much like a Swiss army knife of players who, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, he's played third. He's played short. I think he's played second. You got Noel V. Marte, who also plays third. You have Matt McClain, who also plays short. If, and they've got a lot of different guys who they've sort of just mixed and matched. And I feel like I, I would like for the Mets to sort of have that, you know, you don't want players to like play so many different things that they aren't good at any of them. But if you can take advantage of these guys' talent and be able to sort of fit them in, I think the Mets have enough talented position players to do that. We've been saying this for a while. Their system is very position player heavy at the top. And it's going to be even more so with the guys they traded for at the trade deadline, who two of them are outfielders. But so that that helps the overall kind of versatility of their system. But, you know, there's no reason why these guys should be locked into one position. I think especially if you're a young player coming up today, looking at, I mean, other teams and like guys are sort of moving around and they recognize the talent and they adjust the big league team accordingly. And it's not like if a guy comes up and mostly plays third then there's going to be like no spot for him. So especially with the DH too, I think that does make things a little bit easier to kind of on a day-by-day basis shuffle around. So I'm looking forward to seeing, I mean, the bottom line is the Mets have enough position players to create a lineup. They They got a lot more coming. They got more. I mean, going into the winter, basically similar to last year. Like, I don't know how many really position player holes they're going to need to fill. Maybe another no, like backup on the outfielder. pitching side, they're going to have to make some moves position player wise. I think it's going to have to be like a Tommy fam fourth outfielder type. I mean, but even DJ Stewart could be that guy. Who knows? He Marte, could be. Marte being healthy next year is going to be a big X factor because if he's healthy and like pretty close to back to normal, that's going to be huge to push a guy like Stewart to the bench. You can move different guys around. It's going to make a big difference, but right. yeah, they're not going to have to do much on the position player side. Maybe just a bench spot or two, maybe an outfielder, but We'll have to see. Big spot they got to address. Yeah, but I mean, if they can sort of roll out a mostly homegrown lineup next year, I I feel like they totally have the ability to do that and be competitive based on what I think surprise some people too. And also, I do feel like I've liked the energy and the chemistry from the young players they've had. I think that's part of the reason maybe why they've been just more enjoyable to watch in the second half. I mean, we were kind of saying when they were losing all those games in the first half, like they're they were just boring. And I feel like they've been less oddly with less talent in terms of the players they traded away, they've been less boring since they... Yeah, like, oh, for sure. And the, obviously expectations play a lot into that because you're not expecting much out of them. So when they do something good, it's like, oh, wow, that's nice. But could, you couldn't have done yeah, this earlier. I'm like, well, baseball's hard. It's like, been refreshing they that they haven't just folded, you know, that they're playing well at the end. And these young players, obviously the young players are hungry. They're playing for a spot on the team next year. So it's been really good to see. Yeah, I think at this point, assuming it continues over the last week of the season... Vientos and uh, Vientos and Mauricio and obviously Alvarez, but he that goes without saying. But Vientos and Mauricio need to be on the team next year to start opening day, unless something goes horribly wrong in spring training. I don't see why Vientos isn't your right-handed DH pretty yeah, much all the time, exactly. Because I mean, even he's been hitting righties well too, so I, I think yeah. he can play more than just hitting against lefties. And Mauricio, with him being a switch hitter and his versatility, like we've talked about in the field, that's going to be huge for the team. So I. I think it's going to be, they're, like you said, they're position players. They still have a good core. Obviously, Nimmo's having a great year. His on-base isn't where it usually is, but he's hitting home runs. And Lindor is Lindor. He's been awesome. Alonzo, hopefully they lock him up. I know we haven't been able to touch on that today, but hopefully they Let's can wait him a, Let's wait a bit. McNeil. Yeah, we will. That's more for an off-season discussion. But McNeil's been, McNeil's been a lot better over like the last two months. He's been hitting the ball like he should. So 
again, Marte, all these guys are going to be good. Maybe Acuna and Gilbert will be up next year. It's, it's going to be exciting from the position player standpoint. It's just pitching. They're definitely going to have to address a little bit this offseason. Or, you know, trade a position player for like some yeah. pitching prospects. And even like I would let Buto have a shot at like a fifth, like the fifth spot in the rotation next year. He's looked pretty good. Yeah. And I know it's a short sample size. I feel like every time Joey Lucchese has actually pitched, he's been good. I don't know if yeah. he's like, is he a fit? Is he a rotation piece on a championship team? I don't know. Are the Mets a championship team? I also don't know. So but he could like, be great. Like a Trevor Williams last year where you could keep him on the major league team, maybe leave him in the bullpen and have him spot start. And he, I think yeah. he could thrive in that role if you needed him to. Maybe. I, I don't know. There's certain players who you just get a little more attached to. And I feel like Joey Lucchese like is pretty good. He's better yeah, he than is. like, other teams' fifth starters, I think. So yeah. I'm surprised that he got as little chances as he did this year. I know things that they've been sort of, especially in the second half between like Peterson and McGill, trying to give Senga an extra day and yeah. having. Buto, I think they've just been hoping you know, Peterson and McGill really turn that corner. And they have a little, but not to the extent that the team yeah. was hoping for. I don't know. I, I think I, I don't know if I really believe in McGill long term. Peterson, for whatever reason, he was sort of unwatchable earlier in the season. And I feel like if. I, I honestly believe in him more than McGill just because well, Peterson always shows flashes and then yeah. he just goes back to his old ways, not attacking hitters. It's like my dad says to me the other day, it just reminds him so much of Steven Matz. Yeah, he'll exactly. have a couple really good games where he looks awesome. And then the next game, it's the first inning and he's up to like 30 pitches because he's walking people and he's, you know, so it's just frustrating with him because you he was a first round pick out of Oregon. Like he's got that potential, but McGill came out of nowhere a couple of years ago. So what he's given the Mets in the past has been kind of icing on the kick because yeah. you weren't expecting it but wasn't he called up from double a too yeah yeah and they... he's shown flashes too but i i just like yeah i don't have as much faith in him as i would peterson but i don't really have that much faith in either of them at this yeah. point but they have decent in over the last month or so yeah we'll see what ends up happening with the rotation next year i think it's gonna be well it's gonna be a bit of a jumble they'll probably sign like a starter we'll we'll see what happens but i in, in general though i do feel like the urgency has been there more in the second half because some of the players they've been actually forced to play are really playing for like their careers and a spot on the team next year and a spot on or, or a team next year, depending on what their contract situation is. They've been showing a little more fight, which we'll see if that goes into next year. I don't know. But um, one other thing before, I know you have to head out soon, but one thing we wanted to touch on a little bit in this episode is also the myths, the reports that they will be hiring David Stearns to be their president of baseball ops. They can't officially announce it, I think, until the end of the regular season. So the Mets have not officially said anything, but multiple reports have been out there. So it seems like it's pretty much going to happen. And there have been multiple different like features done on him. We know that he grew up a huge Mets fan in Manhattan, interned for the Mets in during the Omar Minaya years. Omar actually wanted the Mets to hire him full-time, but the there was apparently not room on the payroll for another full-time position. So Shocker. Yeah, this was in, I, I don't know what year exactly, six, 06 or 07. It was maybe. like 2007, I think, yeah. Yeah, so then he's had stints with the, I think, Guardians and the Astros and then was in the Brewers organization since, I think, 2015. So he's been one of the most well-respected executives in baseball for a while, and it's clear that the Mets haven't filled this position because they probably had their eye on him for quite some time. Yeah, this is the guy Cohen's wanted the whole time, it seems like. So, yeah, I mean, Jake, what are your, I don't, it's, it's hard to have like firm thoughts either way on executive hirings because it's not like they're going to take the field. So you really have to see like what their vision is and what their sort of plan is for the players that they have and what they, the moves they want to do. But like, what are your thoughts on 
I mean, it's hard to even know because honestly, I've barely ever heard him talk. So I don't really know like what he has to say about anything, frankly. So yeah. we'll see. What I, are your uh, thoughts on this? I'm happy that they hired a president of baseball operations. I mean, they've been trying to do that since Cohen took the team over. Obviously, I mean, I think Billy Epler has been okay as a GM. On the surface, it looks like the trades he made at the deadline are good. I mean, we'll, we won't know until a couple years down the road. But I think Epler has some really good ideas. And I think he does a good job of recruiting players, especially out of Japan, which there's a couple Japanese stars on the market, obviously, this offseason. So I think that could help a lot. So I'm glad he's going to be sticking around. But I'm also glad that he's not going to be the one calling the shots. I think Stearns, from what he's done in with the Brewers, he's built, I mean, look at, they've won, they've been to the playoffs like four of the last seven years, I think. They're about to clinch the NL Central again this year. So I, he's done a good job of building some consistency over there with a very small payroll, mid-market payroll. So I think with the resources that Cohen's going to be able to give him, I don't see why he shouldn't be able to build some consistency over here, which obviously the Mets have lacked pretty much their entire time as a franchise. They haven't really had any consistency, but they've made the playoffs multiple years twice, I think. So it doesn't really happen that often. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited. Like you said, we're going to have to see what the guy brings. We haven't heard him really say much. I think it's interesting that he grew up a Met fan on Long Island and um, or Manhattan. I know he's from New York, but I, I think it's good. Collins wanted him for a long time. So obviously he thinks of him highly. And let's get some pitching in here because we touched on a little, but the Mets have a top farm system right now, but it's pretty much all position players. And the Brewers have been able to really develop pitching really well the last few years. So hopefully he can bring some of that over here and have some good touch on some free agent signings and build a winnable team. So just consistency. That's all you want from the Mets. And we thought we were going to have it after the season they had last season, but we all know where we're at now. But yeah, it's exciting. We'll see what happens over the next few years. It's going to take time to have an, a real opinion on it. But I think I think it's exciting for the Mets. Well, I think it's good that if he is the guy they wanted, if they're able to get him, then that they didn't just randomly hire someone else. You know, that's the thing with like the Brewers as an example of an organization where, you know, granted, they have not won the World Series ever, actually. But all you can really ask for is to be in the playoffs every year. And then from there, it's pretty much up to the team. You know, it's up to the players. Once you're in the postseason, it's up to the players to win the World Series. The owner can only take you there because you can't make any more transactions after that time. They've won the NL Central several times over the last. They've been in the playoffs, I think, at least four out of the last five seasons. Pretty much in our, you know, young adult lives, they've been good every year. Similar to yeah. how the Rays have been good every year. And I you know another kind of comp people have been making in terms of what the, the kind of the ceiling of the, what people could hope for from David Stearns is sort of the Andrew Friedman model of coming from the small market team and the Rays, who obviously don't spend anything on free agents, going to the Dodgers where they have a lot more resources. And just because he was on the small market team, it doesn't mean he won't spend money. The, that really does come from ownership. And so the Dodgers obviously being more kind of willing to spend on larger contracts and contracts for players like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. But at the same time, it's not just Andrew Friedman making the Dodgers good every year. It's the whole, every single person who works there is like doing a good job. And so if the Mets can- It's about who you hire underneath you too. Exactly. You know? So it's like, it's not just going to be David Stearns. It's going to turn the whole thing around. It's like, you know, Steve Cohen's always said he wants the Mets to be the East Coast Dodgers in terms of, being able to develop players. It's not necessarily the model of signing all these free agents. And, you know, the Mets recently let go of a lot of their kind of player development people. So we'll see if there's any sort of shift in that effectiveness over the next few years or how they're able to develop pitching in particular. But yeah, it's not just going to be about Stearns himself. It's going to be about 
the people that he hires and their philosophies and ultimately, you know, the talent that they're able to develop because him being like having a vision and then actually putting it into action are going to be two different things. So we'll, but I'm, I'm excited. Look, it, it's going to be interesting. The last few off seasons for the Mets have certainly not been boring. So, you know, I'm curious to see whenever they have that press conference, I'm very curious to see what he's going to have to say. I'm sure he's going to be asked about all sorts of different things. So we'll, we'll see what his sort of initial takes are of different aspects of the Mets that are most pressing at the moment. You know, uh, it's interesting because also this idea of like having a GM and a, ba- a president of baseball ops is sort of a new-ish thing. Not e- not every team even has one now. The Mets are one of the last, I think, like 10 teams that only has a GM. A lot of teams have now had both. And a lot of times the like top executives you hear about are the president of baseball ops and not the GMs. Like, you know, Dave Dabrowski for the Phillies and like Farhan Zaidi for the Giants, Andrew Friedman for the Dodgers. So... I'm I'm excited. I think if this actually does go through, you know, very interested to see what his vision for the team is and how things proceed under under his guidance and knowledge. So that should be an interesting way to cap off the season whenever that does get officially announced. Yeah, it's going to be exciting offseason. They're going to have some work to do. I know they've said they're kind of pushing for 2025, but I think they're going to put a competitive team on the field. So obviously they're going to have to make a good amount of moves this offseason to do that. So it'll be interesting to see what Stearns does, see how he likes to put his stamp kind of on the team. And yeah, it'll be interesting. Time will tell if it's a good hire, but I think they're moving in the right direction. All right. Anything else you want to bring up before we sign off for this episode? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, thank you guys all so much for listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at NYMFan97. You can follow Jake on Twitter at Giblin underscore Jake. And you can follow our podcast at Cohen's Corner Pod. Next time we record, it will probably be sometime during the postseason, so we can go over kind of what's going on there, other things that happen to end the season, and all sorts of excitement. If the Mets have officially announced Stearns yet, if anything else has happened, we'll be sure to go over it in our next episode. But thank you all so much for listening, and as always, let's go Mets. <laughs>